And a lot of them are like, oh, we're going to start off lighthearted. And then there's drama. And then they're like, and now we get five minutes of somebody being a goofball. And now it's drama. And it's like, <laughs> they they get you to the point where you're just about to start screaming. And then you they throw you a little bit of humor. And you're like, oh, everything's okay now. And then the drama starts again. <laughs> and then the drama starts again. And you're like, gosh, dang it. Just a reminder, this is a spoiler-heavy podcast. Different series that require a spoiler warning will be in the description. Hey everyone, this is Liz, aka Zombie Hand, and welcome to another episode of Gaming Theater Podcast, hosted by Leo, aka The Geek Scorpio. Take it away, Leo. Hi, today's episode on the Gaming Theater Podcast is going to be all about the strange case that is Cerebus Syndrome. Now, in order to explain what uh, this is and where this falls under storytelling, I've got a couple of guests here now that's going to help guide us through this. How about you guys introduce yourselves? Hello, I'm Kay. I am a artist and I do comics and I write and I sort of do a bunch of other things. Anyway, yeah, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm Brittany. I am also an artist. I'm a fantasy illustrator by trade. I go under the handle Spice and Rose, and I get to hang out in the space and talk about cool things with cool people. Yeah. Oh, I guess handles are important, huh? (laughs) They can be. (laughs) It's uh, (laughs) K.O. Glasson. They'll all be linked somewhere. (laughs) With that being said, let's take a quick trip over to the Magical Merch Booth. Here we are in the Magical Merch Booth. And Spice, it looks like we've got a whole bunch of different artworks that are done here. How about you describe the parts and places that they can find you on the internet? (laughs) Why, yes. (laughs) As I mentioned, fantasy illustrator, but I also dabble in things like anime and video game stuff. In fact, I think I mo- met everyone in this podcast by selling at a convention. You can find me most readily on Instagram at Spice and Rose. You can also find me on Twitter, but it's dead. But that's Rose and Spice. If you if you go for Spice and Rose, you're going to find someone incredibly different on Twitter. And then most Wednesdays, you can catch me on Twitch, doing video game content and drawing and existing in the space we call the internet. And I'll make sure that there's links for everybody on the description. With that being said, let's get back to the show. So what we're talking about today is the curious case that is Cerebus Syndrome. So Cerebus Syndrome is a weird storytelling arc that pops up once in a while, especially for series that tend to be a lot longer than normal. This type of storytelling has happened before in the past, and we've seen it before, but the name for this comes from a comic series called Cerebus the Aardvark. Cerebus the Aardvark was a comic book that was created by Canadian cartoonist Dave Sim, which ran from December 1977 all the way up until March 2004. By that time in March 2004, Dave Sim actually held the rec- the Genesis World Record for most comic illustrated and written by the same author continuously. This record, which was about 300, which would later get beaten out by 
Todd McFarlane, who literally came out of, I think, retirement just to make one more Spawn comic and beat this record. Now, it's in the West, not the East, so the current record holder from the guy uh, on the East, uh, which I can't remember his name, but it's the author who does uh, One Piece, has the most. But anyway, the reason why this is called Cerebus Syndrome is because the way Cerebus the comic started was it was originally a parody comic for swords and sorcery comics, mostly parodying Marvel comics at the time usually because they had the the license for Conan the Barbarian back then. And so it was just a bunch of parodies. But as the story kept going, the longer and longer of that story, they stopped uh, being just a fun parody comic and started going into different types of uh, subjects, such as religion, gender, politics, and various other topics, and starting to get completely different tonal change throughout the entirety of the comics. Because of how many pages and such, at one point there was a joke going around that you don't collect service uh, omnibuses, you collect service phone books. So that's where we get that. This is what happens when a story just sort of changes over time. It goes from usually something completely lighthearted, uh, then starts becoming darker, edgier, or thicker topics that wasn't originally meant to be. And you see that usually with longer running series. Out of curiosity, in researching all of this, did you read any of the comics? Some part pieces. It was hard for me to find comics of Cerebus because, unfortunately, you're talking about a comic series that spans from 77 to 2004. And unlike Marvel or DC, which has a really good archive system, Cerebus the Artifark is an independent comic. In fact, it was one of the biggest independent comics before Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles will come out. Wow. So that's kind of weird in trying to track that down. But yeah, they had some weird, weird things that popped up, like an effigy of, I think, Doctor Strange shows up in that comic series at some point. So Dark Horse Comics, uh, Aardvark, Reboot, Win? <laughs> yeah, a lot of these end up being like story arcs that sort of readjust itself to where it goes throughout the, the storyline. Um, interesting enough, a lot of this was already pre-planned, like all 300 issues were pre-planned for it, which is really difficult to do. Massively impressive to have the forethought for all of that. When I was doing the research for it, that basically comes up with sort of, um, four big reasons why this tends to happen. The first one that I've seen is that the series was running long and it needs to change its status quo. So starts off kind of lighthearted oh no, we've gotten this like four or 500 more episodes we need to make. We need to fill up the space. So rather than try to retread and repeat the storyline for it, they tend to change around and go into these this darker edgier series. So the first big example that I bumped into this was years and years and years ago when Machina was, uh, was starting to come out. That art style of Machina, there was a series called Red versus Blue. And Red versus Blue was known as the Blood Cult Chronicles, and it was essentially just a tongue-in-cheek joke on Halo, in the Halo series. And it was about one group, Blue Team, which is just people in blue uh, Halo suits, and they have shenanigans that happened because they're stuck in a box canyon with Red Team. Another group of Halo uh, armored carrying police. They even make an in-joke for us, which goes something like, let's just say we leave. And Red Team comes by and captures our base. Now they have two bases in a boxed canyon. What does that do, really? Nothing. But as the series went on, they started to leave Blood Coach and 
I think at that point there was season four, season five, and then they leave the series and then they start going into a deeper, more politically based storyline called the re-series. It was essentially, no, there's a reason we're wanting to keep one particular, and this, and as always, these are all big spoiler alerts. So turns out in the blue team, they have a rogue AI that's being buried there as inside the body of one of the soldiers, because if anybody found out that this AI was built, the entire corporation that built this AI and everyone that was touched and everyone that touched this, including a large uh, mercenary group, would all get arrested for basically war crimes. And all the evidence is held inside this one guy. His name is Church. To keep that guy safe, they put him in a place where nobody would look. A place full of idiot soldiers in a box canyon and hope nobody noticed that this was a problem. And it ended up dealing with, like, the ramifications of um, morality with AI. Uh, there was a really cool quote that they did in that. He uh, goes, because this still takes place in the Halo universe. And in Halo, the human race is about to get wiped out by the Covenant. And they started the Spartan program to, you know, defend against the Covenant. The idea behind it was the Spartan program isn't the only one that they tried. As they put it, and I think this is where the quote comes from, it gets, in the view of the human species entirely being wiped out, every option is on the table. But yeah, so it goes into this darker, uh, edgier storyline. When it first started off, it was just a fun little jokes between these guys. And that's one big example I have for that one, where it's just the series was going on too long, and so they needed to add something for it. You kind of also have to remember that this has to deal with Tone, not scale. The stories will get darker and edgier, but it doesn't matter if this goes from like, oh, we're in the street. Now we're in space. That That's not the same as Cerebus Syndrome. It has to go, it's tonal, specifically. Yeah. Like, there's probably a moment where you kind of take a step back from the media and you're like, oh. <laughs> like, if you want another one that's kind of more modern, uh, Steven Universe went this way. Mm-hmm. It started off with, oh, Steven's universe is having adventures with the crystal gems. And because there's so many episodes, as it goes down, oh, no, we're going to explore, you know, your mom doing a war crime. What is it? There's an episode dedicated to him having PTSD at some point. Oh, yeah. I was also thinking of, like, Digimon. Digimon went that way, yeah. yeah did, oh, I, yeah, Digimon. I didn't everyone. watch it, but Digimon Tamers went... Oh. <laughs> off the rails and if i can kind of sorry i'm not trying to completely interrupt you but i got the new game digimon survive which is actually like a almost like a survival horror yeah digimon game i haven't played it but i've heard really good things about it but like that's also yeah, I need like to actually get back to it of the series i've seen and of the games i've played it is such a common story path for digimon because mm-hmm. like OG Digimon is like, oh, we're at summer camp. Oh, no, we're in the digital world. Gosh, isn't this weird? Oh, I got a little friend. This is great. And then the shoe drops when they first run into Myotismon. And that's like the first moment where you're like, oh, this isn't just a fun romp. And then they do it again later to once again remind you, here's the other shoe drop. And oh, like now people are having like, these kids have PTSD for real. Like, so it's this very similar, like Steven Universian progression of like, things are fun. Things are great. Oh God. 
<laughs> I've actually read and watched so many of these stories. It's not even like a trope to me anymore. It's just, oh, that's media. <laughs> it's every JRPG by and large too, right? right yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. One of my... Uh... One of my examples that I came locked and loaded with was Kingdom Hearts. Yeah. Which, uh, <laughs> <starts> out- okay. <laughs> um, we don't talk about that story. It's such a dumpster fire. Oh okay, gosh. here's the thing, though. I can actually start explaining it to you. Like, I actually am that person who went out and, like, learned what it all meant. No, no. I've had people anyway. explain it to me, and it's still... Oh, I'm not gonna explain it to you unless you genuinely wanted me to, but no, so, but, like, Kingdom Hearts starts out with, like, oh, you're on the beach with your friends, and you're talking about, like, what, you know, because they they live on an island, or a series of islands, if it's Destiny Islands, Mm -hmm. but, like, they talk, like, about, I wonder what the rest of the world is like, and why don't we make a raft and go try to see the rest of the world and you know and quote unquote other worlds you know stuff like that and it's very like it's very fun you build a raft at one point it's like it's great it's cute you're gonna run around the island and then you go to Traverse Town and um you know like you meet Donald and Goofy and oh it's so fun and exciting and you know all these things and it's great but then it's like, at the further you get into it, it just suddenly starts becoming darker because Square got to get their little hands. Like, it's not just Disney. It's Disney and Final Fantasy. And so they get to, you know, include their, like, really messed up monsters. Like, there's one monster specifically that I swear to God is, like, it's like, if it was slightly more realistic, it would be straight up body horror. There's just, like, a lot of... um. I don't know, like, just the further you go, it starts to get really dark and really heavy. And especially in the later installations. And, like, I know, like, (laughs) I know that a lot of people are going to give me flack for this. But, like, the mobile game has such, it's such an important part of the story. But that's a completely different topic. That's a different podcast. But... (laughs) It's. Uh, I will be hosting Kingdom Hearts cast. Uh, get ready for the 365 divided by two episodes uh, coming soon. Yes. <laughs> oh my I will tell you about the importance of the mobile game. Oh, man. Um, but like that one especially is so dark and it covers like different topics like I don't know like there's genuine like character death and there's like the the major death of a major character and it's like it's just wild and then when you realize like how dark kingdom hearts like three actually is um yeah tara getting trapped in that body of armor forever and i'm like Ugh! oh <laughs> my, my god. god and also <laughs> my son they did you wrong <laughs> as someone who could never finish the first Kingdom Hearts mm-hmm. because Tarzan World will be the death of my playthrough every Dude, single time. Dude, that world sucks. It's, it's awful. But I need to know something from the okay. four masters of Kingdom Hearts. Okay. Does Mickey ever murder somebody? Does Mickey <laughs> Mouse murk somebody in Kingdom Hearts? Because um, we all know I Donald's don't... a war criminal, but we don't know. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, God. Well, also not just a war criminal. The fact that he doesn't he doesn't 
properly render aid to people who need it. I feel like that's a completely different that's kind of crime. has gotta be a Geneva Convention violation, right? Like, Donald Duck is a walking so. violation. Well, I don't think, outside of, like, your heartless enemies, like, your, your typical ones, I don't think Mickey really does a murder, but I would have to actually double check on that because there is the... But Mickey, I feel like Disney would not allow Mickey to do that because they are very strongly protective of their property and they probably don't want Mickey associated with something like Moida. Right, but like if it's like a heroic murder, you know, like... Yeah. Heroic murder? It's not murder. Mickey can has hero. murder. <laughs> <laughs> I will get back to you on that okay, one because okay, I'm cool, actually cool, cool. not 100% on that. Um, but yeah, Kingdom Hearts is one that that starts out very fun and cute. And you're like, hey, this is, you know, like, um, this is super fun. And then you just get deeper into it and are like, what is what? Who allowed this? <laughs> this is so this is so sad and super messed up. So that's one of my examples that I came with because that one. Yeah. Oh, it starts off fun. It doesn't end fun. No. <laughs> it doesn't stay that one. So, one of my oh gosh, favorite so things, like, because I watch a lot of C dramas now, and a lot of them are like, oh, we're going to start off lighthearted, and then there's drama, and then they're like, and now we get five minutes of somebody being a goofball, and now it's drama. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> they. They get you to the point where you're just about to start screaming and then you they throw you a little bit of humor and you're like, oh, everything's okay now. And then the drama starts again. <laughs> and then the drama starts again. And you're like, gosh, dang it. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, uh, I, so I watched a lot of K-dramas and movies when I was studying Korean. Oh my gosh, K-dramas um, are so dark. <laughs> They get so this is the thing though. Okay, it, it's always been a little bit tropey that like in a K drama there will be one of two things almost guaranteed: someone will die of an illness, or they will contract a, a what should be a fatal illness uh-huh. and either die and it's super dramatic, or they don't die but they just barely come out alive. Or and or it could be both. Someone gets uh, drafted to the military service because every eligible m- male in Korea at between the ages of 18 and 29 have to serve at least two years in the military mandatory. Yeah. And like, it can be anything. Like if you're a conscientious objector, then you can just do administrative work. You know, if you like, can't, if you have a physical injury and a lot of like Korean dancers and stuff, um, they, they go with doctor's notes. They, they can't go through boot camp, So then they get like administrative or something in that vein. And so, like you'll see it in some Korean music videos. <laughs> like I can, I can link you to some, but it, it's military service or someone dies. There's also like, <laughs> there's also the ones about the girls that get R worded, like mm-hmm. oh, so yeah. many. The way that they are, just like I don't know, the, the sheer amount of it is wild to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was one, I was watching the King Clown or whatever that one was, and I was like, oh, this should be cute because it's about this guy that's a clown, and he then accidentally gets turned into the king, like, to take the place. No, it wasn't funny. It wasn't fun at all. <laughs> it took, like, ten seconds for me to realize I done messed up and I need to run. <laughs> I love the levels of, like, 
hearing in your voice of it was a bad time. It was a bad time. It was a bad time. Oh man. <laughs> like I was like, watching like oh it's gonna get better. There's gonna be some funny parts in here. No, never. Never funny parts. <laughs> Only bad parts. <laughs> we all have fun. There was no fun. It was not funny. <laughs> there was no clowning. <laughs> No clowning around in King Clown. Yeah. Oh my god. Okay. Uh, Somebody needs go. to get sued over that title. There was no clown. <laughs> oh, demanding man. your money back. <laughs> I'm demanding my time back. <laughs> um. Actually, so that makes up for number two reason why some of these happen is because there's something in the media that makes the show want to change their trends differently. Basically, hey, this thing is trending now. Let's everybody else hop on this bandwagon. For example, in comic books, it was the change between Silver Age and the Bronze Age of comics. So in Silver Age of comics, we had like Flash, Superman, and people just sort of running around. They have to stop Lex Luthor from stealing money. Why? Isn't he a millionaire? Sure, but he's stealing money. We gotta stop him. <laughs> but he needs more money. Because he needs more money. <laughs> but it's Lex Luthor. Millionaires. <laughs> Oh, looks like uh, Mr. Freeze is at it, freezing people again. Oh, well. And then we get to have a cake with the ch with the police chief. That's how this goes out. This is your typical, what is it, the 1960s Batman? I love that Batman. I do love it, how corny and cheesy it is. Let me go get my plastic phone! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Quick, into the Batmobile! <laughs> It's definitely Bless cardboard. Oh, my favorite is like, he's going to steal all the stamps in the stamp collection. And not exactly murder on this one guy. It's murdering someone's hobby, okay? Yeah. Like, or run out. But then you get into the Bronze Age, and this is where Marvel starts becoming a big thing, where they would get more down-to-earth heroes, especially in the 70s when they had stories like an Iron Man storyline called uh, Demon in a Bottle, which is about alcoholism. And I think at this point, like, three or four heroes are hopped up on drugs. Oh Roy Harper what? was on cocaine. Harry Osborn also on drugs and became the Green Goblin. Yeah, and so these... Oh, Gwen Stacy? Straight up dead. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's standard. standard. Standard to us now, but it wasn't standard back then. They just sort of wanted to get into this darker, uh, edgier tone. Like another big example was Batman the Animated Series when that came out in the 90s. Until then, bullets weren't even shown as a thing in animation for day-to-day -day stuff. So I read this thing about how comic books have gone through waves of people needing an escape from reality, so they'll take a lighter tone, like... Um, when comic books were originally coming out, it's like completely fictional, right? Mm. And you have light and happy problems that happen, even though they're not light and happy, but like stealing stamps, right? Yeah. But then people started getting away from the time of war. And so they wanted to start getting more serious topics to deal with social situations that were happening within the world and started being more socially conscious. And so the comic books changed with it. Yep. Yeah. They just change with the time sometimes. Makes sense. That happens a lot, just even in basic design, too. Like, this is a slight aside, but when you start seeing things like floral prints or really like natural elements being brought into home design or in patterns, mm -hmm. those are usually points of low economic health 
that as people are struggling economically, they tend to want to reach to more natural things in nature and things like that. And then when the economy is booming, you get things like industrial design and, and very cold environments. Kind of like how they had the Art Deco big movement in the 20s. Yeah, bring that back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that movement. So, so great. But Batman the Animated Series was such a big hit and it pushed the censorship things to the edge. So much so that different shows like 87 Turtles was like a light, fun, cartoonish Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And then they had the last two seasons was something called Red Sky, where they redid their artwork to be more like Batman the Animated Series. Oh, yeah. It did not do well because that was a tone shift. It wasn't good. (laughs) Not ready for it. It used to be that there's uh, like those pay channels like HBO, Cinemax, and Showtime and such back then in the 90s and so much. Until that happened, they didn't even touch the idea of having an individual animated series. But then they came up with Spawn, of all things, which went through with the comics. In fact, that's how Dark Horse got started. They kind of wanted to step away from the big two. The big two. Uh, DC and Marvel, so that way they can tell the stories that they wanted to. And then they ended up being trends. Not all of those trends good. Like, 90s art and edginess is not exactly a great thing. (laughs) Yeah, it's got a fit. It's such a weird contrast to, like, sort of 90s pop style in general. Like, early 90s. And Mm. then by mid-90s, you get, like, the Power Rangers coming out. And then everything goes back to being hyper colorful again. Mm-hmm. Like it's this weird little like pizza pie <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of like, sure, the world's happy, but screw that noise. <laughs> I want edgy mm-hmm. turtles in my office. We were all just in our emo phase. I feel like that was like the early 2000s when they started doing the grungy Batman with DC. And now we're like getting more towards the colorful stuff again trends man there's also a rise and fall for this sort of thing turns out like people who are following the side of batman the anime series like gargoyles one of the big things that crushed it was they didn't see mighty Morphin power rangers come by as a as a hit (laughs) and here we are are. (laughs) but yeah they'll take their tones mostly because like that's what's trending and that's where they're going lord knows how many anthropomorphic like whatever's come out because of turtles being successful sonic the hedgehog <laughs> biker mice from mars street sharks oh street sharks yeah i was like what was the one that was super weird <laughs> it was street sharks i was thinking dinosaurs extreme <laughs> anything with the extreme was also another thing that was oh, oh yeah extreme radical <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. What a time. What a time. <laughs> Super quenchers. <laughs> it's the quenchiest. Um, so, like, yeah, trends are one of the things. The other one, the third one that's on, this was the plan all along. So this is a kind of a neat thing in, in sort of telling because you see this mostly with anime. Because anime in the 90s never thinks to go further than, what, 20 episodes? About? Uh, I mean, it depends. Some animes are, like, 25 episodes but i think you're more often going to find mm-hmm. at least the popular ones are more often going to be the ones that are 50 or into the hundreds yeah, i'm mm-hmm. trying to think back because like most of the ones that i watch end within princess 2 was like 26 well it's yeah also... like pr- 
which ones were ported over to the West. Right. Because, like, the 90s is a weird nebulous time mm-hmm. where everything w- tried to get that, that one season, Western mm-hmm. season sort of size to it, but, like, what actually came over. It was the bigger oh, ones. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, what made Toonami interesting was the fact that they were bringing over smaller series like Bebop that didn't have these massive run times like DBZ or Sailor Moon. And Big O! <laughs> yeah, Big O or Outlaw God, Star, Trigun, you know. Like. <laughs> I love Speed Racer, but I know it's one of the longer ones. And Speed Racer's kind of just always been its own camp for it. But like, yeah. take Trigun, for example. You find Smash the Stampedes, and he's having fun going out in the desert, and just bad, weird stuff happens, and he needs to sort of solve this. And then he finds his and then the friend, and then he finds and the, the girlfriend the with the other girlfriend. <laughs> Everything's fine. And until then, the last and then it's night. just, and then you find out it's all tragic, it's all sad and mm. devastating. And then you don't feel good. Mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I have a really kind of off the wall since we were talking about anime. Mm-hmm. Um kind of an off-the-wall reference that I, or um, example of Cerebus Syndrome that I completely forgot about until it was just unearthed in my memory while I was thinking about um, anime with shorter run times. Mm -hmm. And there's this one that I got back in like 2005. And I, I know why I remember it being in like 2005, but that's a whole other story. Um, (laughs) I just long story short i had just graduated high school i was massively depressed and i went to anime to cope because best buy had anime suddenly like box set suddenly for super cheap and like i got i got like escaflone box set for like 25 bucks oh my god um i was getting box sets like every other week for like 25 to 30 bucks it was amazing best buy didn't know what they had that sounds like a good day yeah so i ended up picking up pre-tier and pre tier oh. yeah, <laughs> is like a magical girl anime, and she does like, like it without having to explain it too much. Um, like the Dragon Ball Z fusion dance, sort of, but like Sailor Moon style to merge with one of her like teammates, hot anime and- guys. <laughs> Yeah, hot anime guys. Oh, and yeah. depending on, except for the except for the little children, the sweetest little children ones, like yeah. they're precious and pure, but one of them has like one of those kids gives her like my favorite outfit. But anyway, that depending on who she fuses with will determine like what her powers and abilities are. And at first it's like kind of your typical sort of Sailor Moon style magical girl story, but then you get to like the halfway point. And you just have this, like, sudden betrayal that you did not see coming, and it was my favorite character. So, you know, that tracks for me, I guess. <laughs> and, and then suddenly, like, from there forward, it just gets dark. And then the ending happens, and you're like, I think I'm traumatized yeah. by this. Yep. It was, it was Madoka sci- Magica before Madoka Magica. <laughs> that was the one I was trying yeah. to think of. Madoka Magica pulls that on you pretty quick. I have not yeah. seen that one yet, so if we can avoid spoilers. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen it either. I just, like, a couple of my really close people uh, went in deep on it one summer and did not come out the same. Mm-mm. They were not the same human beings they were going into that show. <laughs> yeah, that's what I've gathered is... Uh, 
is that's kind of how it happens for everybody Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. you just go in and you're like hey and then right around like episode three or something it's like oh god this is actually horrifying that does like um, a full metal alchemist until the nina episode and then you're like oh oh my god and nina happens like pretty early in the series like like episode three or four i think Mm -hmm. Yeah, but until then, you're like, okay, I mean, the intro to Full Metal Alchemist is super messed up because that's when they're doing the, like, yeah, it's like the first, like, four minutes, they're doing the thing, the ritual to try and get their mom back. Ed and Al are, co- or Ed is covered in blood. He sacrifices his, like, leg, or I, I can't remember which, if it's his arm or his leg for Al, and he gets Al's soul back, or, like, or it's both of them in the beginning, yeah. and then they don't get their mom back properly, and then... Al gets taken and then he like sacrifice but it's like four minutes of it being absolutely horrifying and then it goes to like being kind of goofy yeah, yeah it stays that kinda, way until it, um, it goes kinda, to it goes to them in that desert town and ed complaining about him being short and people calling him a shrimp and t- telling him to like drink his milk and yeah. stuff and you're like <laughs> that's so funny for, like just forgetting about the first four minutes that you just watched and then yeah like episode three or four you you meet nina and tucker and you're like oh my god they're so cute they're just a sweet little family and that guy's a like an alchemist and she's his cute daughter and her, there's her dog that she loves and then it's like the end of epi- or like the beginning of episode four you're like i'm sorry what yeah what like horrifying i mean that one's a pretty quick in the if it was like a five episode anime Mm -hmm. that would be you know quite a bit but given that it's like 50 some odd episodes like that's a pretty quick turnaround for for the cerebus syndrome but you know what it's still you just sometimes don't realize what you're getting into like one of my favorite things in anime convention is like you can walk into a group of people and go big brother and everybody loses their shit (laughs) yeah everyone who's seen it does everyone else is like okay yeah or like (laughs) when there's like like, some random art or like somebody memes it or something and people are like too soon and you're like it's been 25 years yeah (laughs) or like 20 years doesn't matter it's but it's still too and now the artist i'm never ready for a comic about um cows and (laughs) dairy farm (laughs) oh yeah yeah, there's that one. I think is also a pretty good Cerebus syndrome because you just don't see Nina mm-hmm. and, like you don't see that coming. It's yeah. you don't see yeah. it coming. It was the plan all along. Well, it's kind of reminding well, of me of Final Fantasy VII mm-hmm. because, like, the whole thing with Aerith. Oh, yes. it was the plan all <laughs> along. But I remember, like, I played FF Seven way after it had come out, but other people in my life had. And the way they would talk about that scene was in, like, hushed whispers and heartbreak. Like, if there was, like, a smoking club in the back of a den somewhere where everyone is just, like, crying into their whiskey and talking Mm -hmm. over this traumatic moment, it was that scene with Aerith. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it was such, like, a game changer for the entire games industry because like mm-hmm. yeah there have been character deaths before yeah there have been things like that but they took like they cerebus syndromed Aerith because she went from being the plucky you know part of like the uplifting part of the group that foiled a cloud mm-hmm. to being oh we suddenly don't have a phoenix down my dude like <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it got memed pretty hard. I um, I always. Oh my god. Oh, sorry. Something I I was like, I'm gonna piggyback off of that, and then I forgot what I wanted. But um, <laughs> no, sorry. So I did that one constantly. of the things that I always. <laughs> one of those things that I or one of the things that I love about that scene like besides the fact that it really was like a solid game changer you really just don't see that coming Mm -hmm. one of the things that I love about that scene is afterwards when you have to immediately go into a boss fight against Sephiroth or Jenova I don't actually remember which one yeah six of one another (laughs) yeah right jury's out um they they don't so like when Aerith dies or she and she gets stabbed and she just like her eyes close and she slumps forward and her materia falls down that that or like bounces down the steps it's playing her theme it's just playing like a very like i don't know like midi version of her theme and it's very pretty and very sad and when it goes into the boss fight immediately afterwards keeps playing her theme mm-hmm. it doesn't switch to a battle song or a battle theme at all it just keeps playing her theme and it's this heavy moment of like oh my god she's actually gone and in this battle like the first time it happens it like when you're just there just like gobsmacked yeah. and yeah, yeah. just trying to figure out what's going on and they keep playing her theme and then as a quick side note in the new theater rhythm on the switch um her theme is actually a battle theme rather than a field theme. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, yeah I was actually really impressed That's with that clever. because, yeah, those types of things, those types of songs are usually done as field, yeah, field songs. Mm-hmm. But hers, hers, um, but only in the original seven, not in seven remake, but in the original seven um, soundtrack. Uh, hers is a battle theme. Also, by the way, spoilers for a 30-year-old game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we have to ensure we have to ensure my sister doesn't listen to this podcast because we're playing Final Fantasy 7 together. You soon. have and X amount of time to get her through that scene and then she can listen to this podcast. Yes, she she has no idea. And in fact, the oh. entire time we've been playing through the remake when Aerith got kidnapped or got by got taken by Sang and um Earth Sung and put in Hojo's lab, my sister was like, I swear to God, if Aerith dies, I will riot. And I'm like, Get ready. She doesn't <laughs> it was like she does not die in Hojo's lab, okay? Like <laughs> But okay, but also we don't know what the next part of the remake's gonna do. Mm-hmm. Aside from just murder us all, like emotionally leave us as husks wandering into the fields. Yeah, I do wonder. Like, I, I don't. Okay, that's a different one. I, <laughs> I feel like Aerith. I feel like Aerith wouldn't allow it to happen differently. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> uh, that's actually a really good example. Is Aerith getting Cerebus syndrome mm-hmm. because, like, it shows. Like, it's it's the first time I remember playing a game where like yes you always like oh we're gonna go save the world whatever and like i came largely from a nintendo background in gaming so like the darkest it got was zelda (laughs) by and large and so seven was the first game i remember playing and just having like to set down the controller and feeling this incredible weight this grief this sort of singular moment that it's not necessarily just a game anymore. It's more like these are stakes. Experience. <laughs> yeah, like these are real stakes and they really affect your party personally 
And it's done in such a masterful way, especially considering the technology of the PSX. Mm-hmm. Such a masterful way that you're in it too. Oh yeah, and it, it it's just like that's the shoe drop for me. That's the the real shoe drop moment for me is that entire scene and boss fight. I had an Aerith moment in a game I was playing last night, um, but I can't I can't put it under Cerebus syndrome because the whole game has been really dark. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you can't start at one and go below that. That's how that's not yeah. Oh, like so this, you mean this Dark Souls game... doesn't get better. <laughs> this game like this game right from the off was like hey we're pretty messed up just so you know and they like they didn't they kind of like started it that way and then yeah they stuck true to it i was like you're right you this is really messed up um but like in a way where i'm super enjoying it like it's it's very engaging but i did have a character get aerith last night and i was i'm sorry i was i actually like put the game down and called my sister because I was like, oh. I, I like had tears in my eyes. I was just laying in bed shocked. My friend who's already played this game was like waiting for me to get to this part. And I just called my sister and was like, I cannot believe this just happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Like this is a thing that just happened. Stranger things was uh, and. Harry Potter and I think also the Percy Jackson series, they were started off, yeah, we're going to be fun here and we're going to get darker and it gets worse and worse every time a new one comes out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I feel just... like a lot of that was the books growing up with the readers. Mm-hmm. So we're just yeah. more serious topics as readers are getting more there is, yeah, there is a bit of that. And as someone who's worked in the books industry for a long, long time, it was interesting to watch that happen in real time. Because, like, Harry Potter missed me. I was always a Tolkien kid. I was always a Redwall kid. Harry Tolkien! Potter in, yeah, I entirely missed any of the, the train ships, planes, automobiles that were shipping off to Hogwarts. They missed me for real. <laughs> um, but I watched all the phenomena happen through my jobs later on. And so it was a unique little snapshot that only could have happened with the first generation of Harry Potter readers. Yeah. Because now the books are all accessible, and so kids aren't having to wait that year for the next one to come out. It's not the Pokemon journey thing, right? It's not mm-hmm. like, oh, I was 10 when Ash started. I was 10 when Harry started. It's like, well, I'm six and I'm bored. You know, like <laughs> it completely changes it. But it is interesting to to think about the long con, you know, and thinking about like uh, Cerberus the Aardvark, Homestuck. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, Homestuck did that. Like, it started out as, I don't know, a collection of MS Paint memes and then became <laughs> body paint on every hotel that they've never gotten off since about 2002. Mm-hmm. We don't need to talk about the Homestuck <laughs> cosplay phenomena. So, I completely miss that whole thing. And people were like, Homestuck, Homestuck. And I get on, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but it's because I didn't grow, like, I didn't go along the journey with it. Mm-hmm. I just I thought afterwards. I missed Homestuck. Uh, I was an OG Potter kid. Like, I started getting into Harry Potter. It was the third book when I was in seventh grade. Oh my and gosh, it was same. Like, 
<laughs> four months before the fourth book came out. Mm. That's a pretty um, good or maybe like six months before the fourth book came out. But anyway, I, I just like I missed the Homestuck craze. And I remember just mo- my experience mostly just being like with the cosplayers at hotels. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I had I went to a convention with a friend um, who I'm not friends with anymore. <laughs> uh, but she didn't know what Homestuck was. <laughs> and um, I was like, I tried to explain it to her and then realized like I didn't know how to explain it. So I read the Wikipedia page to her, like just the synopsis. And I was like, dude, the Wikipedia page makes this way more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Homestuck is Kingdom Hearts for web comics. Yeah. 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 That's, <laughs> that's like, really perfect. And, and like the clever things it did was because of the encoding of the website. So it's very much like that same little pocket as like Undertale or mm-hmm. Doki Doki Literature Club, which there's a beat shift. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that is such a good one for Cerebus Syndrome. Holy shit. The free I... game that broke the entire uh-huh. internet for a summer. Oh and now it's like one of my favorites. I like got the, the, the cool collector's one Are on you Switch. Okay. I have... <laughs> Monica is my wife. Uh, uh, well, you, you have no other choice. <laughs> I, I didn't, but also, like, I I could make a strong argument for why Monica is actually like the most sympathetic character. She's but best girl. She's best girl. But that's that's DDLC cast that I will be hosting. Oh, okay. Is that uh, before or after the Kingdom Hearts three sixty five divided by twelve hundred days? <laughs> It's uh, in the middle of that one's gonna go for a while. Okay, and special edition did Mickey Mouse kill a man? Yes. yes oh, that's no. the that's gonna be like you know how shows used to be like ask a question before it went to a commercial break and then answer <laughs> commercial break cliffhanger. <laughs> oh. um, no, Doki Doki Literature Club though is such a prime example because like before anybody really knew what it was and honest to god not sponsored but if you want the purest reaction to that plot twist just watch the game grumps play it yeah because kind of knew what was coming like he kind of he exists in the internet space way more than dan does and he knew like the gist of what was coming and he knew when it was gonna happen dan had no idea Uh uh-huh uh-huh. And so when it happens, he's like mid sentence. The and then the thing happens, and he's like, "Oh my god!" Like it is the purest reaction mm-hmm. to I to any part of that because you know he had no idea going. And in. then you have he's Aaron's just- gremlin laugh, being like, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." And then him pretending he's like Dan was traumatized, uh-huh. and Aaron's like, "Why? What's going on?" <laughs> You okay? What's what's happening? Something weird, something different, buddy. That's friendship right there, by the way, guys. I love that so much. But but yeah, Doki Doki Literature Club starts out as your typical sort of dating sim. You know, you have the 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 four cute girls that you get to romance, and you play the generic main character um, who you get to name, and they don't. It doesn't matter like gender. You can like me playing wasn't any different than Aaron playing. and so, like, you are going through and you just see these cute girls in the literature club and and it's like, oh, which one do I like best? We've got that one who's, like, the quiet sort of, like, gothy girl who loves horror books. And we've got this, the super cute anime girl who's a total tsundere and, you know, do 
do I like that one? And then there's your perky, cute, fun, best friend. And then there's Monica, <laughs> just Monica. Just Monica. And you just know there's like, you, well, you don't know off, off the hand or off hand well, that there's something up with her. What's but. beautiful about the Doki Doki phenomenon, the tags on Steam were correct. Because it listed psychological horror. It listed all these things. And everyone still was like, oh, those must be joke tabs. There's no way (laughs) that this very cute but pretty generic startup for a visual novel. Those tags are fake, right? (laughs) It's probably because Yuri's into some some horror novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and like before it was even really available on Steam, you could get it from the DDLC website Mm -hmm. where there wasn't anything like that there is no content warning (laughs) no but and that's the thing that's why he gave it out for free and then made sure that the psychological horror tag was on the steam page because he felt it was a bait and switch and he didn't want people to pay for a bait and switch Uh... and that's totally fair that's why like the switch version was one that you paid for because you got all the extras which i got (laughs) um but also because now the people who get it generally will know what they're getting into yeah well it's it's such an old game at this point like most people should know yeah and if they don't protect them and if they like horror games or they like that kind of like messed up twist you let them play that tell them nothing download the game for them don't let them look at the tags (laughs) um also as an aside the creator one of the nicest guys i've ever met he lives in idaho yeah he's a genuinely just nice down-to-earth dude he just wants to talk about smash brothers all day yeah. Oh, yeah. He's actually like a Smash Bros. master. Yeah. Like, he, he, he did the tournaments. He does a lot of, uh, like, not maybe a podcast or videos. I forget which, but he does a lot of Smash content and, like. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's how people are going to talk about me. Oh, she's such a nice person. But then you read, like, my media and it's like, oh my gosh, what's wrong with this person? <laughs> yeah. Well, some of our okay, skeletons no, feel... stay in the closet. Some of them just kind of come out to play a little bit more often than others. Like, that's <laughs> oh, all gosh. it comes I down mean, to. You gotta look you gotta look at the one meme that has Jinji Ito versus Hayao Miyazaki. Oh my <laughs> god, yes. Like, because it's like, it shows Hayao Miyazaki and what he draws professionally and it's Studio Ghibli stuff and it's cute and it's sweet and it's and it's adorable and He's it's very grizzled you know, old man who's <laughs> <laughs> he he so honorary <laughs> from like all the interviews. When you, see, when you see what he draws in his spare time, he draws he draws dark macabre shit. <laughs> like he actually draws really depressing stuff when he's not doing Studio Ghibli stuff. But then you look at Junji Ito, one of the most prolific horror manga artists. Like that dude has something wrong oh, yeah. with him. He like, okay, so happy, like, probably though. not. He seems fine. Like he's probably <laughs> cool. But when you look at what he draws in his spare time, he's drawing cute shit. It's like, the it's... Uh, Thomas Kincaid syndrome problem. <laughs> like Thomas Kincaid was the painter of light, and he did all those like houses and had Disney collabs and like every so generic. Yeah, every suburban white mom in the 90s had at least mm-hmm. one Thomas Kincaid hanging in their home, usually where he got the chocolate chip cookies from, and they were the good chocolate chip cookies, and you knew it. But when he passed... <laughs> we didn't have a uh, poster or print or whatever. We mm-hmm. had Thomas Kincaid puzzles. Ah, uh, those are probably so, My yeah. grandfather was actually a um, scenic painter, 
So he oh. <laughs> he painted a replica of the Thomas Kincaid lighthouse, and it's like a huge, huge copy, and it's hanging on our wall still. Still counts. <laughs> still counts. So, so you tell- still have the good chocolate chip cookies at your house. That's what that comes yes. down to. Yep. We do. But, tell us what. Tell us about Thomas Kincaid, though. <laughs> yeah, when Kincaid passed, because he had built such a reputation, Kincaid Cerberus syndromed an entire community of women. Like, let's just be real here. <laughs> His following got Cerberus syndromed out of this uh, because when he passed, and they finally started like kind of going through all of his work that never was published. It mm-hmm. was a body of work that was more like what you're talking about, like Hayao Miyazaki's uh, stuff he kept to himself. <laughs> that I had to look it up again. But like, there is a bunch of like salacious images, I believe, that uh, were just kind of hanging around. Yikes. I feel like there just has to be that sort of an outlet. Like if you're going to be a horror author or artist or what have you, like you have to be able to have the outlet where you draw the cute stuff or you write more lighthearted things. And the same with um, like cutesy people, like you still need, you can't be cutesy and do fun stuff all the time. Like you do still need, like you need to get the darker emotions out of you in some way. And like, in a weird real life Cerebus syndrome, there are a lot of makeup artist channels <laughs> that start out primarily as makeup artists and they do makeup tutorials and stuff. And then all of a sudden they are makeup and true crime. And there is a wide genre mm-hmm. of girls <laughs> who do their makeup while telling you true crime stories. I think I've that's, watched some of those and they're weirdly women do. Yeah. We yeah, that's literally crime. my life. <laughs> I watched some today. <laughs> I love this eyeshadow, but also my, the murder. My dad <laughs> and I bond. My dad and I bond over murder mystery shows where we joke about mom killing my dad with like the things these people do. <laughs> I was telling Leo the other day how to how we would properly dispose of bodies, but we're joking, FBI. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like I love watching the murder or the murder mystery and makeup mondays or whatever because they'll be like i'm using the nars foundation in 2n or whatever and then they'll do that and they'll put it all on and tell you their true crime story and then they'll be like oh for eyes i'm using my morphe palette and then they'll (laughs) i'm gonna use these colors and then they go back to telling you about it and so it's like almost jarring like the first time i saw it i was like what is this? But now it's like a whole genre of its own, and I love it so much. Sounds very enjoyable. Oh, this person slays just like my eyeliner. There <laughs> is. Oh my gosh! <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here uh, all night. Uh... That was incredible. <laughs> God. Oh God! I have. I one day will draw something. I will draw. Um, <laughs> I'll make an e girl doing that or something. Oh my God! Have you seen do. the pictures of people like drawing their eyeliner on with the knife next to their eye? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it yes. freaks me out. Oh my God! Uh, that's that's <laughs> you, that's unnecessary, girl. Like I train with those, but I still wouldn't. Yeah. No. Um, so I have another example of Cerebus Syndrome. Not makeup, murder, mystery, whatever. <laughs> In the 90s, there was a little animated Canadian show 
called Reboot. And it was the first Yay. ever animated, like fully animated cartoon in like e- ever. Like the one that was animated start to finish. And this was actually a thing is they wanted to have like more of a like darker, not like darker, but even just like a overarching plot. And they wanted it to be a little bit more serious and they wanted it to be like season one would have a plot that starts on episode one and ends on episode 12 or I don't know, 22, whatever. But they were airing at the time. I believe it was on ABC and ABC was like, we don't want that. Uh, We think that kids won't be able to, follow the story along if they miss an episode and you know like a recap only does so much so no we want self-contained episodes and they have to be within these parameters so they couldn't do any of like the even like slightly uh, darker stuff that they wanted to do and so they yeah they had to stay well within these guidelines and like even down to the art style so like the main one of the main characters is dot and she, they had modeled her with two breasts. Shocking. But the company or the, the, the broadcast company was like, that's too provocative. We don't need children to see that. So they had to model it. You know how like when your shirt is really tight and it just like pulls across your boobies? Mm-hmm. Um, they had to do that. So they ended up calling it her mono boob. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> like they... They had to do things like that, even just right down to jokes. They could have, like, some jokes slide past the censors. But for the most part, it was just very, like, surface level. There wasn't much that carried from one episode to the next outside of, like, jokes and slang and stuff. Like, um, Enzo saying alphanumeric as, like, a slang for cool. But then at the tail end of season two, uh, or when they were, like, working on season two, they found out or they told the network i don't know exactly how it happened but they uh were leaving that particular network to go somewhere else and so the last two episodes of season two they made an overarching plot that left off on a cliffhanger that led into season three and then season three does have overarching plots and you have like (sighs) dude you have one dude who like ends up like living in a game or something for so long that he ages faster. So when he comes back out, he's an adult. Um, But so he's like the same age as his big sister and like just things like that where he, Oh, he lost an eye and he's like a, like a, he, he's just like a very hardened individual. And then you've got Andrea who was like very sexy and they would not have gotten away with her in season one, <laughs> seasons one and two. Um, and you just had like a little bit more innuendo and it did get darker. And they actually, there were like real stakes to the plot of season three. And it was so interesting. And one of what I feel is the best examples of Cerebus syndrome because it just, the stark difference between seasons one and two and then three does remind me of like the last one of the reason why some of these uh, service syndrome shows up is because something changes with the team who makes it or something changes with whoever makes it in this case for reboot they changed network oh now we're just gonna go go back to what we wanted to do in the first place do you think someone's gonna get murdered maybe let's find out in this season (laughs) oh but like Spider-Man goes through that, like, every so often. Whoever's writing in, uh, the Spider-Man stories uh, wanes and ebbs on how dark it's going to get. So, two things. First, I need to slightly amend my Thomas Kincaid statements. 
Um, okay. It wasn't the it wasn't drawing like a trove of drawings or anything that came out after he passed. It was stories of his personal conduct that came out that created this like big rift and like people started wanting to offload their paintings really quickly and stuff like that was he a grocer he uh sounds like he struggled a lot with alcoholism and a big part of that was like he was so big because i remember like i was raised evangelical and so going into bookstores with an evangelical uh leaning to them and like his paintings were everywhere in those Mm -hmm. bookstores Uh Uh, and so he was someone who's touted as like being part of that culture and then all the stories of him like i guess he peed on winnie the pooh once or he heckled (laughs) uh yeah uh what was his other one he became so drunk at a siegfried and roy magic show and began shouting cod piece cod piece at the performers eventually needing to be claimed by his mother like he was so inebriated, oh his mom god. had to go get her son <laughs> at a sick free oh Roy my show. god so, and there's shouting so, yeah and it sounds That's like great. unfortunately there are a couple like more gross things i'm just going through the wiki mm-hmm. um but yes uh my mistake it was not his drawings it was just him that was the cerberus <laughs> syndrome maybe it should have been gross. his drawings <laughs> maybe it should have been <laughs> Um, but talking about different studios and thinking back on Escaflone. Oh, yeah. The difference between the movie and the TV show. Dude, and even, like, the last half of the TV show, I'm just gonna say it, like, the show maintained relatively the same tone, but once you started uncovering, like, a lot of the plot as you go, you're like, okay, no wonder that four kids wouldn't touch this after episode, like, eight Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, the movie just takes that to a whole new level. Because in the movie, the protagonist is different, and she's there because she is trying to unalive herself, and mm-hmm. and through that whole arc of things, as opposed to the TV shows, like <laughs> we got cat girls. <laughs> yeah, and like, well, and like, just everybody in the everybody in the movie version trauma. Like everybody's dealing with some trauma. And it's like yeah, it's like really like yeah, she's trying to she's trying to off herself and then like even Vaughn is like a lot angrier than so different. It's a very angry little dude who's just trying I never watched the show. I only watched the movie, and let me tell you, it was confusing as hell coming into the movie with no concepts. And it's so interesting because The movie is pretty, like, self-contained. Like, you don't have to have watched the anime. But I do think it helps to have watched the anime. Because there is stuff that, like... They might not explain it to you. But, oh my god, Vaughn in um, Escaflone in the movie. And how it functions. (gasps) Oh my god. Because it, like, plugs into his body. And it uses his blood to power the machine. I just don't understand the ending. Like, I still don't. I don't. She just oh. disappears, and I'm like, what the heck is that? Did she die? Oh, well, because I don't she, know. Well, she, went back, she went back to her world. She was just tra- teleported oh. or transported or whatever back to her world. And so she okay. was no longer on the mystic moon, or she was no longer on Gaia. She went back to Earth. Oh, okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. I was like, wow, we went through this whole movie, oh, and now wow. she unalived herself for real. <laughs> <laughs> nah. 
would you say the difference between Avatar and the uh, Last Airbender and Legend of Korra would pull one of those? I've not seen Legend of Korra, so I can't um, say. I feel like Legend of Korra. I feel like Legend of Korra is more like it was teen oriented, but it didn't necessarily do the the more serious tone. Yeah, it took it in way different ways, but I don't think it does. Eh? I feel like Avatar itself had a serious tone shift. Yeah. And then Korra itself yeah. had a serious tone shift, but not within each other. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the last things I want to bring up for this is sometimes you can also reverse the effect where you go from a darker tale to a lighter tale. The weirdest tell me that- how. I've got one. <laughs> one of the weirdest. <laughs> oh, man. We had to deal with all this. Uh, Death and destruction. All right, let's get the cute animals. All the distrust in Liz's voice. (laughs) (laughs) So, in a weird real-life example, um, pro wrestling went that way. In pro wrestling, into the 80s, 90s, when they started being big in TV, they started to have a more cartoonish, more superhero-like tone to to these wrestling events. And then the Attitude Era happened, where they started... It was sex appeal. It was the 90s. There were violence. I think Mick Foley is on record of being hit in the head with a chair bleeding out from like getting nailed by that thing like nine times. And that's not even the worst damage he has. The first hell in the cell he did with the Undertaker, he falls off a higher thing on accident and he goes right back in. It was brutal. It was terrible. And then the whole Chris Benoit death happens. And they're like, we got to bring that sucker back a bit. We got to undo some of this thing. And at the time, they were starting to be in talks to go into another network uh, station, which didn't want to have all that violence and such. So the era that went after the Attitude Era ends up being called the PG Era as, guys, we got to keep this PG. We got we got to tone it down, everybody. <laughs> but is that really reverse Cerberus, or is that just what we talked about earlier with the cycle of trends? Like, in this case, it's more of the cycle of trends on the basis of they wanted to be on a bigger network, but to be on a better network, they needed to be more censored. Aha, censorship. <laughs> Gotta get that Curse money. you. Actually, if you've watched all the rest, pro wrestling from back then, probably a, a needed thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sure. laughs> I already give football enough of a hard time for head injuries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, Sarah syndrome is a thing that just sort of pops up once in a while and that it's not a bad thing if you can handle it right because then the tone shift just sort of becomes interesting sometimes when they do that kind of tone shift it just feels more uh sometimes it's more around the akin of yeah you're just doing that for shock value and i absolutely hate that mm-hmm. yeah that's why i didn't mind it when it, they did that kind of tone shift in steven universe or into uh and such but it's not really a tone shift in game of thrones but i feel like game of thrones a lot of the stuff they did was to just shock the audience and it was like after a while okay it's not shocking anymore it's not interesting you're just doing it to be shocking uh, walking dead did that i used to keep collecting the walking mm. dead comics and i understood that they were going for this shock like value for it and it just was draining um, honestly, mm-hmm. it was one of the reasons why I liked the, uh, you know, the TV series, The Boys. Mm. I used to collect The Boys, the comics, but I honestly liked the show better because the shock value wasn't their primary thing. 
Yeah, it's important to have an actual story if you're going to do these sudden tone shifts or if you're going to have a sudden act of violence. It feels like there needs to be a reason behind it. And Game of Thrones, they do have reasons behind it because it's like medieval Europe tone. Yeah. But also, it was really exhausting to see women are worded every episode. <laughs> yes. There are better ways to write a villain. Exactly. Dude, there's better, there's more nuanced ways, like... Like I'm, this is gonna sound awful the way I'm about to say it, but there are better ways to traumatize your characters, yep. especially yeah. your women, because women—that is something that women deal with regularly enough. Like we don't yeah. need this to see. We don't need it to be normalized in our media too. We're not shocked about this. This is every day. Yeah, we just expect <laughs> this. I'm, uh, I'm really trying to think of a reverse Cerberus, and I am failing. Um, I don't know. I just briefly want to touch back, mm-hmm. um, Leo, when you mentioned The Walking Dead. That one does not have Cerebus syndrome at all. It okay, does not. like that one. It does not. <laughs> it got bad. It just got bad, just and it, it got yeah. It did things for shock value to the point where in season, like I, I quit halfway through season five, I believe. Because it got to the point where, based on how they started the episode, based on, oh, we're going to talk, or like, we're going to give this character something sympathetic about him. We're going to give, we're going to, this character who we've barely touched until now and we haven't even given a name is going to, we're going to go into their hopes and dreams and whatever. And it's like, they're going to (laughs) die. Sure enough, later in the episode. Oh, you seem naive to the world. You're going to die. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it, it just got so old after a while. I remember the first one, the first time it happened, I was like, oh, no, please don't let that kid die. Like, he's so sweet. And he just idolizes Daryl so much. Like, please don't let that kid die. He's he's patient zero for infecting their safe camp. And, like, that one worked. But that one was, like, one of the first times that they pulled that outside of, like, other main character deaths. Like, that one was just, like, we're going to introduce this kid in the very beginning. And I want to say he was the beginning of season four. Don't know for sure. I stopped watching halfway through season five when it was airing. And they're on, like, season 12. It's like Supernatural where I stopped watching after, like, season four. Most people did after six. Mm. Well, season five, five was when it was supposed to end. Six oh, was yeah, super jumping the shark. Mm-hmm. Six was jumping the shark so hard that you could tell there was like some shit going on. I got me and my sister got to the end of season ten, left off on a oh no the apocalypse is coming for the fourteenth time, and we were like pass. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, just doing things for shock value is one of my least favorite storytelling things. Mm-hmm. Like at least make it. Like my like the character death I I went through last night, I was blindsided by it, but it fit the narrative and it wasn't gratuitous. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel like, ooh, you know what? This will really upset people if we if we kill this character off. Like I was just genuinely like, it fit. It made sense. They made the death make sense, and so like yeah, that's important. Most of the time, you'll see the the reverse on that in comics because after a big event, the world didn't stop spinning after that event. Mm-hmm. And so, what happens is you have this big event comic of where they're having these big things and that are going on, and it changes them. They and they have this darker tone, and then we get to see some brevity. Just it shifts back. Uh, there was a time where the Avengers were just back into some of the Silver Age sort of things, and that was in the 2000s for a while. And then they went back again. 
Do you mean we did get music? Thor Ragnarok? Yep. Which was like goof, goof, goof. Oh, the world got destroyed. Well, we're still gonna goof while it's happening. Exactly. <laughs> and that would be so much, but that is another podcast. <laughs> that, that is for another day. Like I said, Kate will be hosting MCU cast. <laughs> <laughs> where I rant about the things they've done in the MCU where they wouldn't allow the story to be serious. Mm-hmm. Yay! Yay! But yeah, um, again, mi- saying mixed results is bad. Like, once you start going that, that path, it's difficult and nigh impossible to come back from that. Well, right, because then your audience expects the more serious tone. And so to switch it back to the lighthearted stuff, they're like, wait, this isn't what I was here for. Yeah. Well, I guess you could do it if you played it well. You could put it as like a good wrap up to as an ending or an Mm -hmm. epilogue, you know? Because like it's a lot easier to have that shift back and forth, like these long running franchises, like WWE and Marvel. Like they have all the time and space to play with it. Exactly. Like if you're thinking about like a game or just like a one season anime. You know, you would have to tie up those ends nicely into an ending or an epilogue. You know, like every, or like Ocarina of Time, the way that one ends. You know, you go through the credit scene and everybody but you is partying it up at Lon Lon Ranch. And you're seeing <laughs> people like take a moment and be happy and relax and sort of revel in the fact that everything bad is over. Okay, so this is what I love about C-dramas with the way they handle doing serious stuff and then putting that little bit of humor in there while you're going through the serious moments because by the time you get to the end of the series, it's okay to go back to the happy story now because you've been touching on humorous moments throughout the story. So it's story-wise very... um, it's the same tone mm-hmm. kind of thing. You're not having a severe tone shift. So, yeah. And it's, it's, I feel like it's important well. to have... Yeah, I feel like it's important to have um, comic relief throughout things because going through something that is just heavy start to finish is like... It, it actually gets physically exhausting. Like, it exhausts mm-hmm. your mind so much that it starts to be physically exhausting. So it's actually just good mm-hmm. storytelling to at least have a joke or two in your runtime. Um, I actually just watched a movie that had none of that, and the movie was bad, but not because of that. Just, it was bad. <laughs> bad for um, other reasons. <laughs> but also because of a lot of other reasons. Yeah. And I, listen, this is gonna, might give it away to some people. I love Dave Batista. That movie was bad. There was nothing redeeming about that movie. Not even Dave Batista in glasses Aww. acting like he should be my father, which I would, I would be like, can you please adopt me? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I it was a bad like movie. He's, he's such a character too. Like the roles I've seen him in so far where there should be some kind of comedy while he's on the screen. And so to go into a movie yeah. being like, Oh, that would be really well, funny. I felt like, this was definitely a role that was kind of like trying to be a bit more serious mm-hmm. and he played it really well. Like he's a really good actor. He played the role really, really well. It's just the movie's bad. <laughs> and that's, oh. and like the, the fact that I, if I tell you who the director is, you'll understand why. Oh no. <laughs> it's Shyamalan. Oh, uh, of course it is. 
Oh, it's that weird movie about Knock the, the like cabin. cabin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I it's, listen, I've got the five dollar so There are so many actors in that movie that are like comedian actors though. Rupert Grint. Rupert yeah. Grint is in that movie. And like that's Ron Weasley. <laughs> Yeah, like and I'm like, but this that, is a comedy, right? <laughs> it just wasn't good. And also, like, I I don't know. Going into it, it's like I I was like, this is gonna be a religious post apocalypse or a, re- a religious apocalypse movie. Like, I can already tell, and it's not because yeah. the two leads were gay dads. Like, that actually had nothing to do with it. Um, but like, they did touch on that topic, and the people were like, oh god, we're actually not homophobic we don't have a homophobic body or bone in our bodies there's just something else going on and then when you learn about it you're like it's a religious apocalypse and then also the ending could have been way better if it spoilers if it actually hadn't been a religious apocalypse and this person had to sacrifice his husband only to learn that it was all fake man that would have been a better ending if you want an actor whose weird career is kind of like Sarah Rissinger, Tom Hanks. People forget mm. that Tom oh. Hanks' career was entirely comedic in rom-com movies up until the 90s. You know, Robin Williams, too. Yeah, Robin Williams. After doing so many... Jim Carrey. After doing yeah. so many comedies... Oh, Jim Carrey was another. After doing so many comedies, they were like, I have other acting chops and I want to show them off. And I do remember Jim Carrey specifically doing a drama... Because he wanted to, um, was he the one that was in the majestic? Was it the Stranger Than Fiction one. Uh, that's uh, Will Ferrell. Oh yeah, that was. Who, I didn't like that movie, but they did a good job with it for what it was. I'm gonna look at the majestic movie because <laughs> I don't. I remember that was one of the the Truman Show. That was one of the comedian actors. Rooms tw- uh, twenty two, I think, is the other one. Oh, he did the number twenty-two. Number Jim Carrey. I actually yeah. liked that one. It was it was ridiculous, but it was fun. It was just the the ending of oh no, the number. What, am I thinking of that one? The number twenty-two had the shitty ending. Oh god, no, the number twenty-two actually was not bad. There was a oh knowing. <laughs> That's the one that had Nick Cage in it, and it was Bayer. I love Nick Cage. Like, I never know if he's be- trying to be a serious actor or he's just <laughs> not taking himself seriously. I don't know. I and I that think that's his thing. I think that he's really actually like a character actor. Because if you ever watch him in The Sorcerer's Apprentice, yes. he is one of the best characters in that movie. Yes. Like, he is so good, and I love that movie. And then also, <laughs> like, in Willy's Wonderland or Wally's Wonderland or whatever, like, the Freddy Fazbear movie that's <laughs> pre-Freddy Fazbear movie, so good! And, like, you just see him in these roles where he gets to play a character, and I think that he does so well with it, and I love that for him. But then it's when like, you see him- National Treasure, and you're like, I should be laughing at him, right? <laughs> because i am because i am (laughs) it's just like he was in the movie knowing and knowing had the most disappointing ending that i ever (laughs) saw in a movie like i actually in a film class i did in college uh we had to write um (laughs) examples of one of our like weekly things was we had to write examples of uh um 
a, a good like a good storytelling ending and a bad storytelling ending and then we had to go and comment on um like two of our classmates posts and I was one of the first people to post on this and I put knowing and somebody who had commented before me edited their post and was like Elizabeth is right knowing is the worst <laughs> 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 it's such a bad the ending is the worst and it sucks because everything leading up to it was so interesting but then you could tell that the I don't know, the director just didn't know how to end it, or the screenwriter didn't know how to end it. And they were like, uh, make it aliens. Nailed it. <sighs> so bad. They anyway, the number 22 was actually really good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's, again, it's Erebus, not a bad thing. But... <laughs> it's a little off topic. <laughs> I mean, I if something is so bad, it becomes mm-hmm. a Cerberus. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, oh, what is it? It was like, because uh, when you have dramatic actors, uh, comedic actors that go dramatic, when they come up with a, another comedic role, like Jim Carrey did with uh, Sonic, it just feels like brevity. Oh, God. He mm-hmm. is. He really was made to be Dr. Eggman. Mm-hmm. True. He was, he was made for that role, honestly. He was so good. And it just feels like... I don't know. Like, it, don't get me wrong. I love Jim Carrey being a like in a in dramatic roles, but there was just something so delightful about seeing him in a comedic role again. Oh yeah. So you're also it was Jim Carrey in the Majestic. I looked it up. Oh okay. I was I was like, who was it that was in the Majestic? And I think that was one of the first roles that Jim Carrey took, trying to be more, um, like serious in tone. Which one are you? You tell me now. That was his Cerebus moment moment his, or <laughs> as a uh, as spice put it when that shoe dropped yeah and then sonic was his return to innocence <laughs> the return to innocence copyright strike oh copyright strike oh copyright i love that song so much <laughs> Sorry for your peaking audio. Enjoy editing that later. <laughs> and we're sorry for any ears that were offended during Oh, this. no, they were blessed. They were blessed. I believe this might fall under the sorry, not sorry, which one of us feels that way kind of. <laughs> it's a moving target. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm, I love you guys. <laughs> Before I leave off on this, um, what is a... a, a a movie or game or book or whatever that that really gave you that cerebral syndrome that you really loved on that chrono trigger chrono trigger is a good one yeah chrono trigger starts out like i'm just gonna go find this i'm gonna go to the fair and i met this cute girl and i helped her find her necklace and we played uh carnival games and it was so super fun and then you keep going and are like oh this is a world-ending apocalyptic time travel story. Holy shit. And then it just gets dark because you see the world end and suddenly everyone's like, oh, shit. I'm going to give two. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be The Hobbit and Ocarina of Time. Ooh, yeah. Those are good ones. Because, like, and, like, so with The Hobbit, my dad, (laughs) I didn't have picture books when I was a kid. It was my dad reading Tolkien to me. Token. To in some very fun and interesting manners, including uh, some traumatic experiences, which I can talk about whenever. <laughs> but 
uh, with The Hobbit, it was the first Tolkien book I read on my own. And so I'm like, oh, it's like, it's everything I really liked about the first part of Lord of the Rings. They're in the Shire. It's cozy. It's warm. He has some door friends. That's cool. And then Battle of the Five Armies. Mm-hmm. And then Thor and Oakenshield succumbs to essentially the same mental illness of his forefathers. And like, oh, everyone's dead. Cool, 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 cool. I'm I'm eight. And then Ocarina does something very similar. Because yeah. it starts out, especially like uh, it was my first Zelda game and like it was the first 3D Zelda. So it did it to everybody mm-hmm. where you start off in like this very sort of idyllic Peter Pan kind of world where, oh, no, things are bad, but I'm in the forest and I have friends. And then things start getting bad because the Deku tree dies. Mm-hmm. I cried. And then it gets worse. But you say some Goron, so that's cool. And then, oh no, it's bad again. Oh no, it's worse again. Oh no, everyone's dead again. And the moment you walk out of the Temple of Time, the first time, and the all of Castletown was just filled with like life and happiness and music and that weird couple that'll never stop dancing. And mm-hmm. it's filled with redeads. <laughs> and then oh, yeah. you walk over to see Ganon's castle. Like, yeah (laughs) (laughs) stuff happened (laughs) stuff happened and none of it was good (laughs) what about you kate oh my gosh i can't even think of like individual ones my brain is just blank (laughs) it's so sad i think it's because it's because doki doki literature club was like the perfect one perfect (laughs) one i've never played that oh my god you should play play video games like I'm such a sad little nerd that doesn't play video games. Like, okay, that's my only nerd hobby. I don't do that much of. Do you like? Do you like laughing? Do you like comedy? <laughs> do you, do you like, like crying? <laughs> do you like trauma? Do you? Like- <laughs> I do like trauma. So my do favorite you- comic book artist is Kaoru Yuki, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever read any of her work, but if you have, she writes gothic horror. Okay, no, but I was saying, if you like laughing, watch, there's a version of the Game Grumps playing Doki Doki Literature Club, and it is, they actually have, like, a movie version where somebody just compiled all of the episodes together into one seamlessly, and it's hilarious. You will laugh. They have some of the funniest jokes ever, Um, and then you will get just that super pure reaction from Dan when the twist happens and you're like and, and he's shocked and it's is, amazing is the supercut also unabridged uh yes there's no there's no cutting out of except for the title cards and the end cards sweet and i think it's actually on the game grumps channel but i just type in game grumps doki doki literature club and i'm telling you <laughs> this is what I, Liz puts on at the end of a night you know long I've day i've actually rewatched it several times because <laughs> i've seen it so much now that i just like i just i it's something to have on in the background it's your safe place <laughs> i used to also watch horror movies as comfort movies and so <laughs> listen <laughs> liz are you okay is there things that we need to talk about after this? I already asked, and we already know the answer is Kingdom Hearts. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I have two, and mostly because one came so out of left field that I didn't think about it. And the other one was, uh, the one that came, for me that came way out of left field is 
in Star Trek Enterprise. He's basically the starship captain, Captain Archer. He's trying to get these crew, and they're trying to travel across the universe and explore for places. Except the key point is, they're not ready for things. At some point, somewhere in season, I think, three or four towards the end, he becomes a pirate, steals stuff from another ship to keep his ship going, and says, eh, <laughs> this really <laughs> sucks, but I gotta do a bad thing because there's an even worse thing. And so, like, he becomes a pirate, he blows up a small crater in the moon, he does a lot of bad stuff randomly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Or that episode where he clones one of his crew and like the clone ends up being self-conscious and like a part of the crew and then it, it finds out that it was only cloned so they could use part of his brain yeah and then they kill him yeah not not a good <laughs> yeah it is a weird one to say <laughs> oh. Oh. and someone's like sitting here why why do you like enterprise works that time he was a pirate was pretty cool <laughs> You know what? <laughs> Captain Archer is a very interesting character. Mm -hmm. The other one that I really like is from Sweet Coden 2. It starts off as JRPG. You get part of an army. Oh no, you had to abandon that army. Oh, now you get to hang out with this fort. Okay, what you don't know about is the the other army is being led by a, a large-scale serial killer with huge magical properties who's basically just going to town. And that's the Empire's uh, solution to not having him as our problem right now. <laughs> they literally like, okay, we're at a war, just let him deal with it. But he's a psychopath, uh-huh, but now he's not here, you see. Oh my gosh. That reminds me of a visual novel I once played where it was like the dating sim visual novel. Mm -hmm. And like most of the paths are pretty normal for the character, but there's one path where you end up with um, your, like, childhood friend that's kind of like a brother, mm -hmm. and he locks you in a cage with stuffed animals so you can't get hurt. <laughs> yeah. No, he locks you in a cage in his house. But he gives you stuffed animals, so it's fine. I can't remember the name. I feel like I know which one this is. I'm on the Otome subreddit. <laughs> I'll just learn something about me. Um... I learned a lot about your bookmarks this evening. <laughs> <laughs> um, <and laughs> yeah, where do you go from there? <laughs> no, I le legitimately, I am um, one of the subreddits that I uh, enjoy. I guess is the Otome subreddit, and I remember somebody was talking about uh, favorite Sundares. <laughs> somebody oh had mentioned one about. Or it was something like always liking the character that is actually in real life the worst. Mm, <laughs> and, mm -hmm. and someone was like, but what do you mean this guy locking me in a cage to keep me safe isn't romantic? Or something <laughs> like that. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, this is wow. the last route I had to take, right? Because I actually chose a pretty normal dude the first time I went through it. And I was just like, what the actual F? <laughs> Where are we going at with this? I knew he had bad signals. <laughs> I just yeah. If you uh, ever play um, Pio Fiore, that one is you drew Gil from it for somebody, but that yes. one is really messed up. Also, Color X Malice. I mean, I played the Starfighter visual novel, so I feel like there's nothing that can shock me anymore. I don't think I know that one, but 
Pio Fiore is 1920s Italian mafia being Ooh. Italian mafia. So yeah, they're not locking people. you in a cage of stuffed animals for your health and wellness. They're locking you into a, just a cage. A cage with torture devices and cement galoshes. There's some uh, there's some torture that happens. Um and in fact, one depending on your route, there's <laughs> if you want to romance the moth well, you can romance the mafia boss of all three different yes! actions in this town. <laughs> but if you wanna if you want to romance Dante Falzone, he uh you have to actually get to him past his cousin, who is just like his cousin like oh god. It's not gross. It's not like an incestuous sort of thing, but Dante will always be will always come first and foremost to his cousin Nicola and Nicola will not handle anybody coming between them like not again not in a gross way but so to convince to try and convince the main character to not fall in love with Dante Nicola's like oh I think I heard your cat run downstairs let's go and he takes her downstairs into the torture room where Dante is actively torturing someone and then she like freaks out and she's like oh my god I can't believe this and she runs and leaves and Nicola's like oh guess he didn't go down there <laughs> what do I say I just like, think they should kiss they sh- the solution to that that is not the solution <laughs> you call the <laughs> there is also so one of the other um mafia leaders is uh part of it's the laoshu and you get to you get to smooch and fall in love with their psychotic drug-infused leader yang he brought Lao part Shu? of the, the laoshu yeah. i don't l-a-o-s-h-u but he he brought i think it's it might just be fictional but he brought people over from china with him to take over this particular town because it like they call it the back door to europe and if you can get into this city and take it over then you kind of have lots of imports and exports and stuff if you can make it there you'll make it anywhere (laughs) anyway it's a really fun game if you have a switch i'll let you borrow it I'm wondering what Laoshu means, because Lao means old. And it's usually Laoshu, which is teacher. <laughs> it's old rat. teacher? Old rat. <laughs> I was kind of hoping it was like, the old money. The old new money. money. The old yeah, Yang money. is young and hot. Oh, yes. And yes. problematic, I'm sure. Oh, hella problematic. <laughs> he's, he's psychotic. I love that, and I will romance him. Yeah, he's wonderful. He's actually one of the ones that you should romance later. I think that his route actually doesn't unlock until you've done the first two, which are Nicola no and or Dante. There's only Laoshu. I feel like <laughs> I'm experiencing server syndrome from this conversation. We started <laughs> like... this. This started fun. A fun romp into tropes has turned into, yeah, you know, so he killed a guy in his basement next to Mickey Mouse now, and I'm in love with him. Now it's a fun <laughs> romp into the murder basement. If you play that game, I'll tell you the order that you should go through the routes because it is, it is actually important. But I only romance one route when I play games. That's what I do. Oh, but this one, th- this one is like, it. The build, the story builds off of itself as you go through the different oh, routes and Yang's Yang's doesn't unlock until after you've done at least two. So I'm collecting men, I see. Yes. At least Liz isn't like, oh, come on, it's your type, you know, buries you in the desert. 
I recommend <laughs> I recommend Nicola, Dante, Orlock, Yang, and then Gil, and then Henry. Or okay. he's French, so it's Henri. I'm, I'm just gonna stop at Young. Hear me out. <laughs> Y'all start a new channel. It's makeup and problematic visual novels. Yes! <laughs> I will, yes. Makeup, but we'll do theater makeup. Makeup and problematic visual novel faves. <laughs> Don't soon. you tempt me. I might do it. Don't you tempt me. Do it, me. do it, do it. I can also know. do nail painting. It's cool. Oh, yeah. You do the nails, I'll do the face, and then we'll talk about Otome games that are probably. Like, it doesn't even have to be Otome. You can spin it out and do, like, just problematic characters that you love in general. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Liz All has a subreddit bookmarked. <laughs> I've got this covered. There's so many toxic babies in this. They send me emails about it every night. So I get ones from the Fire Emblem Reddit, the oh Persona Reddit. Uh, Finland Reddit. F- Finland? Finland. Ah, uh, I'm like, is Finland, is that where they put all the problematic Otome characters? That's where all the problematic faves go to get happy. <laughs> they just go to Finland. <laughs> Finland was voted like the happiest country in the world, so it's like all the problematic faves go there to be happy. Not Finland, with that where you leave scene. your red flag behind? <laughs> They're not allowed in. <laughs> Finland okay. turns them away at the border. <laughs> Alright, I think. <laughs> Yeah, we've gone properly off. Is that is that enough content for you? Is 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 that is that what you wanted, Leo? Is you that what keeps this? you entertained? <laughs> Do you not entertain? Oh man, entertain oh. us! Coming soon. Gaming theater presents busy little bees. <laughs> you see a new section in the YouTube for gaming theater, and that has an awful lot of makeup and problematic characters. You'll know why. <laughs> <laughs> this is your sneak peek to our fall reveal. Wait, what was my second? Um, what was my second cast gonna be? Uh, we had the Kingdom Hearts one. We had uh, just Monica. Uh, oh, why oh, Monica's yes. best girl, and yes. also uh, Slay and Slay. Uh, yes, <laughs> Queen. <laughs> That's going to be the end of that one, is we're going to start it going, yes, queen! And we're going to end it going, slay, queen! <laughs> and then you're going to get canceled. <laughs> yes, queen, slay! I feel, like we'll, I feel like we'll actually, like... You're like, let Leo produce it and see, it's his problem now. No, I think we'll, I think we'll actually gain some kind of cult following. It'll be a bunch of girls doing that, that, love, um, that love makeup and true crime. And then you spin off into the side side piece, which is uh, nails and cults and video games or cults and media. And so from problematic people to problematic organizations. I I do love a good. I I actually have some good fictional cults that I could talk about. I thought you were going to be like, I do love a good cult. And I'm like, yeah, no, that that sounds like Liz. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Watch a lot about cults. The worst part about this is if uh, Liz just goes, yeah, I had to leave. They were too mainstream for me. (laughs) (laughs) Your cult is a little line. (laughs) Wasn't that cult before it was cool? (laughs) I'm sorry, there was no killing and sacrificing, so... mm. No labyrinths of blood to unlock the great immortal beneath our feet. Oh. (laughs) 
No. Lame. Zero out of ten on aesthetics. I got one out of ten on vibe. This is like the worst death cult I've ever been a part of. Like <laughs> I just love the idea. Only killed of, like, like three people. <laughs> Both of you cult hopping. Like, both of you cult hopping and then grading the cult on your way out. <laughs> like, one out of ten, like, top. And that's, like, a combined score of all of the, of everything. Like, it was, like, a 0.25 on aesthetic, a 0.75 on vibe, and, like, a solid, like, zero on, like, murder. All right. With all that being said, I guess we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna close this all out for us. Our next episode is gonna be available on June second. With that being said, this is Gaming Theater Podcast. Logging out. Bye, everybody. Bye. 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 Gaming Theater Podcast is hosted, created, produced, and edited by Leo Garcia, the Geek Scorpio. Our music is A Drinking Game. Stock media provided by Stormwave Audio slash Pond5. Our cover art is by Adam Parker. You can find him at ParkerGFX on Twitter. If you want to send us some money to help with these episodes, you can do so at Patreon.com slash Gaming Theater Presents. Want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet? Please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. It really helps out. Thank you for listening.